listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Great to see you all in the house of the Lord. I like what I feel in the house. It's exciting. People are happy to be here. Wherever, wherever you are joining us from, uh, I'm so thankful that you've taken time to get out your technology and be a part of the life of the church. That's what our Sunday, our Sunday time together is. The Spirit speaks to the church, and we, all of us, want to be a part of how the Spirit is moving uh, in our, through, the, through His body here, in our communities, in our homes. Can I have a big amen? So we're glad to, glad to see all of you today. Um, I am excited about uh, First Steps getting back. I love to get to know you and spend some time together. And so that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm continuing uh, the series we started last week entitled, How Is That Working Out For You? And the whole idea, the whole premise of the series is that you've tried doing things your way. Uh, How is that working out for you? You tried thinking your thoughts. How is that working out for you? You tried solving your problems. Uh, How is that working out for you? Uh, If you think your solution is good enough, um, you may, it's very high probability that you're not ready to to, to surrender to the hand of the Lord in your life. Uh, I sometimes am afraid that sometimes uh, we haven't suffered enough. I, I don't say that lightly, but I think if you've gone through enough suffering, there comes a moment when you're just sick of your way and you're ready to try God's way. And I think that's a moment, uh, really, uh, let me say it this way, it's a spiritual opportunity for you to step into the place of repentance. I've done it my way, I've tried it by my schemes, by my crazy plans, hasn't worked out very well, I'm gonna try it God's way. That's what this series is, is about. And today I wanna talk about putting on the mind of Christ. We have our way of dealing with things, we have our thoughts, we have our coping strategies, and hopefully, you know, those work out for you as good as they can. But there's a better way to handle it, there's a better way to live, and the Bible actually spends a lot of time, which we're going to go over, a lot of time and a lot of ink convincing us to put on the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, part two, how's that working out for you? Are you going to help me preach here for a few moments? Will you give me a sample amen real loud? Oh, that sounds good. I might not have to preach very long. Uh, we love you all. We, uh, those of you who haven't been back to church, I want to say it's totally okay. I get it. As long as you're being careful in the rest of your life, I'm fine with you missing as long as you're being careful in the rest of your life. But you, you folks out there who, you know, you going around town without masks and you're being dangerous and then you don't come to church. I'm going to have to say a prayer for you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. <laughs> we love you. We, we miss you. Uh, we hope to see you soon. All right. If any of you have an opportunity to go to San Antonio, Texas and uh, visit the Alamo, first of all, I would recommend you doing it. It's a fun uh, place of American history. Uh, the story of it's not necessarily fun, but uh, now when you visit it, it is a, it's a, it's a fun place to remember how America kind of emerged as, uh, to find its place among the nations, to, uh, gather itself in the way our geographical states are ordered. And 
If you, if you go in there, I've been there a number of times, and that's why I'm, I'm suggesting it is a fun place to visit. If you go in, right near the entryway, there is a portrait of a man, James Butler Bonham. Uh, he was one of the heroes uh, who fought in the, the Alamo, and he uh, he's part of that history. And however, if you look close at the picture, you will see a note that is there on a plaque, and it'll say, uh, John Butler Bonham. No picture exists of him. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, who was said to greatly resemble his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. Now, this is just a little detail, kind of a little bit of American history trivia, uh, but there is a a wonderful uh, illustration here uh, for all of us who are seeking to pattern our life after a man who we literally have no physical picture of. There is no picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Further, uh, no man hath seen God at any time. Our frames of uh, life that we walk around in, these bodies, cannot bear the unveiling of the glory of God. And so the, the, the Bible is clear that no man hath seen God at any time, and those who came close like Moses are shielded by God, and they see a downgraded manifestation of his glory so they can survive. This happens to Moses, and even even afterwards, he glows with a, a really dangerous light for days because he has been exposed to the glory, the power, the majesty of God. No man has seen God at any time, but if you want to see as close as you can see, you need to read the story of the man Christ Jesus. Do you see what I'm doing here? If you want to get as close to the heart of God as possible, if you want to perceive as near as possible to who he is, his glory, his heart, his values, his words, then you need to open the word of God and you need to start at the gospels and you need to read the testimony of the men who followed Jesus Christ because although we cannot see God, we have been given page after after page of description of who he is and how he works and how he heals and how he saves and what he cares about and what he thinks you ought to do with your life. It is an honor for us to represent Jesus Christ to this world. We want to be like Jesus. You'll hear church folk talk like that on a regular basis. You'll hear preachers talk about being like Jesus. And you'll hear singers sing about being like Jesus. And uh, unless you take time to actually apply that to your life and heart, you perhaps will wonder what exactly it means. And you'll fall back on on a type of time-honored churchiness and say that is what it means to be like Jesus. If I'm churchy enough, then I'm like Jesus. Well, that works until you meet enough church people. Uh, and then quite to your surprise, you find out there's plenty of church people who aren't like Jesus. Can I have a half-hearted amen? 
A half-hearted amen, yeah. Uh, the half-hearted amen is when you say, oh, yes, and oh, no, or oh, me and oh my. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that half-hearted. I, I agree with you, but you know, I am one of those church people. Uh, if you don't really know what it means to be like Jesus, and admittedly, this is what we are working out, uh, this is what we are working through, this is what we are pursuing, uh, we will substitute uh, being like Jesus for our favorite type of churchiness. And we think that if a person is churchified enough, uh, then they are like Jesus. Well, now, this may or (laughs) may not be uh, the case, depending. Uh, Spirituality is what we're going after here. Uh, Spirituality is what we are seeking after. And I don't mean simply in the manner of the popular modern phrase that somebody is, say, spiritual but not religious. I think I know what they mean by that. I think what they mean by that is they're open to spiritual themes, but they themselves are a part of no organized faith. I I think that's what they, they mean by that. I think half of them saying it uh, have not thought it through, but they're very much just trying to uh, make a statement of some type of spiritual open-mindedness. What do we mean by being spiritual? We all know that if we are going to know God, we're going to have to follow the Spirit, and not just any Spirit. In fact, we need to know the Spirits, and we need to intentionally follow the Holy Spirit. What do we mean? You see, spiritual and spirituality is this slippery term that uh, you don't exactly know what the speaker means unless you know the religious tradition they're coming from and the nature, the personality of the person saying it. Let me give you an example. Um, If you grew up in kind of a Bible-thumping, Bible-study, you know, we're word people kind of church, um, to you, spirituality might be uh, kind of meditating upon the Word of God and defending the truth. And if you have an inclination toward that personality type, which which I do, uh, I'm the guy who as a child, I slept through the singing and woke up for the preaching, true story, um, I will tend to like that more. And so uh, for spirituality, for me, may turn into some version of speaking the word of the Lord and studying the word of the Lord. And, and if I'm not careful, I will allow my personality and my traditions to make me religiously and spiritually vain. And I think the only way is my way. On the other hand, there's people who they slept through the preaching and they woke up for the singing. This is people like my wife. Y'all pray for her that she can make heaven her home and her family be saved. Um, uh, She is the type of person, I can give just a beautiful, deep Bible study and she's like, I don't exactly know what you're talking about, but let me sing you a song. Yes, Jesus loves me. Mm. I feel the spirit. 
And I'm like, well, you haven't even read a text. And she's like, I don't care. I feel the spirit. You see, if she's not careful, or those of you who are worship inclined, or you grew up in a church where you didn't want the preacher to preach, you wanted to shout the preacher down, and you didn't think it was good church if the preacher got to preach, I don't understand that at all. I am philosophically at odds at, with that. If you're not careful, you'll look at people like me and you'll say, that's not real spirituality. Or I, in vanity, will look at people like you and say, that's not real spirituality. Let me give you a, a fairer and more accurate summation. I need worship people and you worship people need word people. And together, God's going to put us together into a body that he can use for the glory of his name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Spirituality in our case, if we're speaking in a truly, uh, a way that is authentic to the intention of the scripture, it cannot be pursued, whether you're a word person or a worship person, it cannot be pursued without a commitment to the Holy Spirit and a entertaining of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, pick your poison here. <laughs> it is, uh, as it were, you have to perceive that it's not enough to have churchy music, you need the Holy Ghost. It's not enough to have Bible study lectures. You need the Holy Spirit. There are scholars who know more Hebrew and Greek than I ever will, but I don't know if they're pursuing the Holy Spirit in their life. I want to find somebody who's pursuing the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for talent. I'm thankful for the lovely worship, praise and worship production team we have here at First Church. We are blessed and I give honor and credit to every one of them. You guys know I enjoy them leading us in worship, uh, but I don't just want talent. You can find talent that isn't anointed. We must pursue the Holy Ghost and yes, Holy Ghost fire. We must pursue the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so for us, if we're going to look at the gospel writers who, let's be fair, if they came to our service, they wouldn't know what was going on. They wouldn't understand the way we sing. They wouldn't understand the way we gather. They wouldn't understand uh, so much of what we do, but they might would hopefully identify with the spirit and the core of worship. They, may not un- they wouldn't understand our language, certainly. They, may, they certainly wouldn't adre- uh, understand modern dress or any of those things. They all dress different than us, Um, but they, if we can get this right, they would resonate uh, with a spirit and a heart of worship. And if we don't have a church that resonates with the heart of worship, we're not coming to church the right way. So we've got to come to church the right way. We've got to focus. We've got to exalt him. We've got to place him upon a throne of praise and worship in our heart. And so if we're going to understand them, we're going to need to understand what they mean by the Holy Ghost in our life, uh, pursuing the Holy Ghost to put on, let me say it this way, the mind of Christ. First Corinthians 2, verse number 16. This is the NLT translation. We understand these things because we have the mind of Christ. Let me read Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 23. Be made new in the attitude of your minds, NIV. Uh, Romans 12, verse number two, do not conform any longer to the pattern, somebody say the pattern, 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What are we talking about? We're talking about thinking the way Jesus thought. We're talking about putting on the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 uh, verse number 5. In your lives you must think and act like Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus. In your lives you must think. Somebody say think. And act like Christ Jesus. So The question becomes, how did Jesus think? How did Jesus think? Uh, I want to take a moment here and try to explain something that I'll need your indulgence because it is a little bit of a deep dive, a deeper dive that I think is valuable to understand in terms of all the scriptures we are going to read. Uh, Jesus was God. I think we all will agree upon that. I think at the core of Christian faith is that statement that you will see on bumper stickers and in the hearts and, and mouths of believers, and that is simply Jesus is God. Say it with me. Jesus is God. We believe that. We say that. But in order to understand the language that is used by New Testament writers, number one, in order to understand the language used by New Testament writers, why did they use specific language? Because they referred to Jesus as a man they had known, they had followed, and they also referred to Jesus as God manifest in the flesh. This creates a communication challenge. Stay with me just for a little while. I think this is valuable. Uh, And so to understand the language used by New Testament writers, number one, and number two, to understand the accomplishment of grace, to understand the redemptive work of Christ, you have to also perceive him as the son of God. All right, let me catch you up. You have to perceive Jesus as God eternal, God creative, God glorious, God infinite, God omnipresent, God omniscient. You have to perceive him as those things. But if that is all you perceive, you will not understand how he was tempted. And you will not understand how he grew in knowledge. You will not understand how he overcame sin, not just by divine power of the eternal God, but by the righteous flesh of the second Adam. Okay, I know you're looking at me and you're thinking, oh me, oh my, here we go again. I want you to see this is why all of the writers in the New Testament in some way pay homage to the mystery of God. Some do it overtly uh, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Others of them do it by simple explanation of Jesus in the garden weeping his 
sweating great drops of blood, saying, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If you only can understand Jesus as God, you will have no problem with justice. You will have no problem with judgment. You will have no problem with final reward. You will have no problem with authority and power. If you only understand Jesus as the Son of God, you will have no problem with mercy. You will have no problem with fallen humanity. You will have no problem with the need for second chances. And you'll have no problem with the struggle of re- uh, or the, the victory of redemption. But if you only sit on one of those natures of God, natures of Jesus, then you will struggle with the opposite. What the gospel writers are trying to do, take a moment to appreciate this to give you the wholeness of God, the mystery of the, of the Godhead, so to speak, the eternal and the temporal, the one who never sleeps nor slumbers and the one who struggles to stay awake in prayer, the one who can speak and the worlds are formed and the one who says, take this cup from me. You must perceive the mystery of God, the God in him the eternal deity in Christ and also the son of God weary and broken and bleeding saying my God my God why hast thou forsaken me you have to get both you have to get God and the son of God this does not create a polyistic theology out of a monotheistic Jewish inheritance it does not do that. God does not in some way become three entities that creates a heathenistic style polytheism where if you're mad at one, you can pray to the other and therefore trade your ethics with whichever one approves of you. You cannot do that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But there's a dual nature to this one whom we serve. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to share with you. You must see him as God, eternal justice and judgment, and you must also see him as a second Adam, overcoming sin through the fears and the temptations of the flesh. Not just rebuking sin as king, but overcoming sin as tired and lowly and poor and broken and still choosing the right, thus becoming uh, the righteous lamb of God for sinners slain. I'm sorry, y'all, but I love this and I just can't help myself. So we must accept the mystery of the incarnation, God in the flesh, reconciling the world unto himself. How can he be the lamb and the high priest without controversy? Great is the mystery of godliness. How can he be both the lamb, the high priest and the altar without controversy? Great is the mystery of godliness. How can he be uh, the king, the judge, uh, the lamb, the son, uh, the altar, the offering, uh, the tabernacle? I'll tell you how. Ye are complete in 
Now, if you don't get that, you may have spent years fighting uh, over, you know, how the Godhead works. You may have spent years making enemies of your family uh, who have a different theological inheritance, but you need to get this. Why? So you don't just appreciate the justice of God, you perceive the mercy of God. And you don't just worship him as creator, you worship, you worship him as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All right. I'm way off the reservation and I don't even care. Let me do one more effort to help you understand why you need to get this. I'll explain this to you. Christ in his flesh modeled how we should know the eternal God. Let me say it again. Christ in his flesh modeled how we flesh should pursue the presence and the knowledge of God. You need to understand what a model is. I am going to use a learning moment here. You will perhaps notice that I have a model of a elephant up here, or for all our little people, this is a heffalum. Uh, but it is a model of an elephant and it is carved to resemble an elephant. And you must admit, however, that this is a model of an elephant. It can help you understand. I want you to get this. It can help you understand what an elephant of like is like I know this will sound simple, but I want you to give me a moment of indulgence. This can help you understand what an elephant is like, but this is not an elephant. If you make the mistake of thinking this is an elephant, you will be more confused than you were before I showed you a model. Mistaking the model for the reality is actually detrimental because no elephant in the history of the world is carved of wood and weighs approximately two pounds. In fact, if you think an elephant is about this size and about this weight, you are in for a great surprise. However, if you will let the model teach you, you will no longer have to be like a blind man who fills a trunk and think an elephant's like a snake. Or an elephant, or the man who wraps his arms around the leg and thinks an elephant's like a tree. Or the man who gets slapped in the face by the tail and thinks an elephant's like a fly swatter. This model will have helped you understand as long as you let the model teach and you do not think the model is the elephant. All right, now why am I trying to do this? Because we Uh Uh-oh, I knocked my glasses down. Hold that thought right here. Okay. We can make a mistake of falling into a snare of reading the Gospels but not learning from the examples of instruction that are shown in them. Jesus could have used divine power to overcome sin, but he chose to face your temptation and win. There is, as a result, 
events in the story of Jesus that are for illustrative purposes and there are events that were necessary if he is going to overcome in the manner you must overcome. Let me try one more time to explain this. Jesus did not need baptism that his sins might be covered. So why was he baptized? He had no sins. He did it to fulfill all things to show you an example of how you need a divine covering of mercy and righteousness in your life. If you have not been baptized in the wonderful saving name of Jesus, I want to serve you. I want our church and our team to serve you. We would like to baptize you in the name of Jesus that you may have that covering. You need it because use a sinner, use a dirty, rotten sinner, and you need to repent of your dirty, rotten sins and get your dirty, rotten hide to be baptized in Jesus' name. And can the church say amen? All right, he did not need a covering, but he did it to teach us by example. However, when he prayed to his father, it's not that he isn't God, it's that he's overcoming sin through the flesh, not the spirit. And if you're going, or let me say that differently, he's overcoming sin as you must overcoming sin by uh, submitting the flesh to the spirit. Do you see? When Jesus is praying, it's not that he isn't God. It's that he is showing us how we, standing only in our flesh, must pursue higher things. If he had used divine power to overcome sin, he could not have been at all points tempted like you. He had to have the creation genesis of God upon him, and he had to be that which was of Mary overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, but he had to grow up with doubt, and he had to grow up with fear, and he had to grow up with wondering, am I, what role do I have? And so the Bible says he grew in knowledge, he grew in understanding, he had to overcome fear, like you have to overcome fear, and he shows us how to do it. Say this with me. He showed me how to do it. Say it again. He showed me how to do it. He did not rely on superpowers. He did it the same way you're going to do it. You're going to call upon the name of the Lord. He did not rely on some type of heavenly host. He did it the same way you're going to do it through the power of God. You say, there's a mystery here. I say, amen. But this is what you have to appreciate in the writings of the gospel authors. Otherwise, you will always read these stories as two competing theological forms of calculus, one right, one wrong. There's more here than arguing with people who think slightly different. There is a story of justice and a story of mercy, a story of power and a story of deliverance, and ye are complete in him. Somebody say Jesus. All right. I'm going to give you, now that I have really spent a moment trying to set a table, I'm going to try to put some good food on it here for you. Jesus modeled how to put on the mind of Christ for us. The apostles wrote that we have to put on 
the mind of Christ. We have to understand by having the Spirit of God upon us. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Jesus did it, and he demonstrated to us how to do it. He did not cheat. He did not shoplift on his own rule of justice. He overcame and showed us how to do it. And because we could not do what he had done, gave us both example and deliverance. And this is the story of the triumph of Christ's redemptive work at Calvary. He both did it and taught us. And you have to get both of them, but otherwise you will just jump through some of the most profound scriptures in the New Testament. Jesus overcame and he showed us how to overcome. Jesus healed and then said, greater works than thee shall you do. He demonstrated and he invited. He demonstrated and he included. So if he did that, let's ask ourselves what we can learn from how he did it. I'm so excited. I'm about to give you a gauntlet of scripture, the which thereof thou hast never imagined. And when we art done, thou shalt verily fall upon thy seat and say, I am exhausted. Are you ready to be summarily ran around the church three times? Number one, Jesus modeled for us absolute spiritual clarity for his life and he spoke it. He made it live through his words. He modeled clarity and then he did not hide that clarity. He declared it. John chapter number six, I am the bread of life. That is the sound of absolute spiritual clarity being spoken to whomsoever can hear it. John chapter number eight, I am the light of the world. John chapter number 10, I am the good shepherd. John chapter number 11, I am the resurrection and the life. How about John 14? I am the way, the truth, and the life. How about John 15? I am the true vine. How about Mark 14? I am the son of God. Notice the sound of of this kind of declarative faith speak. He's not overcoming by divine cheat code. He doesn't have God mode in some type of a eternal game that he's running a joystick. He's overcoming in the manner you overcome. And what is he doing? Spiritual clarity and then spiritual declaration. Every one of us need to learn how to find clarity and speak it over our lives. Don't make your statement something that you cannot speak over your life. We sometimes are guilty of over-speaking. I'll give you a a very simple, even silly example. If I tell myself I'm just the greatest preacher in the South, um, I can't carry that. I, I, I I can't say that without feeling like a fool. Hopefully you can't either. Um, If you can say that, you either should take, get back on your medications or you should consider coming, becoming a politician. Um, there's a problem with that statement. I can't have clarity speaking a lie and calling it faith. 
I have to find what my clarity is. So what I can find, uh, if I downgrade that declarative statement to a level where I can stand with it in confidence, I need to get it down from a, some, some absurd level like I'm the greatest preacher in the South. I need to downgrade that by several orders of magnitude and I need to get it down here. I'm going to do my best to tell, tell everybody who will listen uh, that Jesus changes everything. I'm going to do my best from the rising of the sun uh, to the going down of the same uh, to give the name of the Lord Jesus Christ praise. I'm going to do my best to tell everyone who will listen, uh, Jesus is everything you need. I just made a statement of absolute spiritual clarity that I can stand upon that. I don't have to lie to myself. I don't have to drink two beers and so I get my confidence up. I can stand on that. I got it to something that was absolutely clear for me and now I need to speak it. I need to speak it all day long. I need to speak it all night long. I need to speak it when I'm afraid. I need to speak it when I'm not afraid. I am going to tell somebody about Jesus. What's the second thing Jesus modeled for us? The second thing he modeled for us, uh, similar to the first but slightly different, uh, he modeled absolute spiritual purpose. First, he modeled absolute spiritual clarity. Secondly, he modeled absolute spiritual purpose. And again, what? He spoke it. Let me read John 8, chapter number 14. Excuse me, verse number 14. I know where I came from, Jesus says, and I know where I'm going. This is absolute spiritual purpose. How about Luke chapter number two? As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus is holding to clarity of spiritual purpose, and he's saying, I must be about my father's business. He models purpose, and he speaks purpose. Luke 4, verse number 43, quote, I must proclaim the good news about God's kingdom, for I was sent for this purpose. How about John 10 and 10? My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. I am come that ye might have life and what? Life more abundantly. What are you doing, Jesus? I'm absolutely clear about who I am and I'm absolutely clear about, clear about why I am here and now I'm gonna speak it. All of us need to learn from what Jesus modeled for us. Not overcoming through some type of divine God code where he had a cheat code to the game, but overcoming the same manner we must overcome. You need to be clear about where you are in God and what God has called you to do and you need to be clear about that purpose and you need to speak it and speak it and speak it and speak it speak it to your fears speak it to your doubts speak it speak it speak it number three Jesus models for us the pursuit of the presence of God this is somewhat difficult for people who are unable to perceive this dual nature of divine teaching and 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 and, and the manifestation of deity uh, because how can Jesus be God and uh, pray to God uh, this is again this edge of the mystery of of 
of, of the Godhead, the mystery of godliness. Uh, this is what you need to be reminded of. Jesus is modeling and he is demonstrating. He is overcoming without a divine cheat code. You have to do that in the flesh. Therefore, you must pursue the presence of God. And we, as believers seeking to follow after Jesus, must learn from his example. If Jesus had to have the divine manifestation of God in his life to overcome limiting himself to the flesh, so it is that all of us much, much more must pursue the presence of God. John chapter number 16, verse number 32, Jesus says, I am not alone because the Father is always with me. This could very accurately be said this way, I'm not fighting in my flesh, I am standing upon the delivering power of Almighty God. So it is for everyone who will overcome, you cannot do it by yourself, you must seek the presence of God. Luke 5, verse number 15, Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. Let me move along quickly. Number four, Jesus modeled for us submission to God words. He did not simply show it by manifestation. He spoke it by his own mouth. John 12, verse number 49, quote, I have not spoken of my own. Instead, the father who sent me tells me what I should say and how I should say it. What are you doing, Jesus? I am not standing in my own fleshly opinion. I am standing upon the word of God. Number five, Jesus modeled an absolute focus upon pleasing God. He did not seek to please everybody. He sought to get along with those who were able to be got along with us. With He did not go out of his way for trouble. He even would avoid the places where there would be trouble. That's why he spent so much of his first year of ministry away from the cities, away from the synagogues. After his initial announcement, he goes into the countryside. It's not that he wants to fight for the sake of a fight. Uh, It is that he is going to do his best to try, but he's not going to worry about pleasing everybody. John chapter number five, verse number 30. I only try to please the one who sent me, NCV version. I only try to please the one who sent me, or how about Luke 16, 13. No one can serve two masters. You're going to choose one of them. You're going to love one of them. You can deceive you can pretend, but at the end of the day, there must be an absolute order and spiritual structure in your life. Number six, Jesus modeled for us absolute surrender to the will of God, the way of God, the purpose of God, and uh, everything else relating to the call upon him. This is John 5, verse number 19. I assure you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. What are you doing, Jesus? He is modeling absolute surrender of flesh to spirit, of temporal to eternal. Number seven, Jesus models mercy 
toward others. He models forgiveness. He models acceptance. He does not judge in the manner of someone who needs to be perceived as good. He's not afraid whether or not people think he is good. He forgives in the manner of, as one who believes in mercy and more loves mercy. More than that, we are taught biblically Old Testament anew to be lovers of mercy. Jesus will hang on that cross, 23 of Luke, and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He will say in Matthew chapter number five, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those which despitefully use you or persecute you. Jesus is going to model mercy. If you only perceive God, you're comfortable with justice. If you're only perceiving Jesus, you are comfortable with mercy. But what you need to perceive is God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, unto repentance. This is the great mystery of God. All right, am I killing you? I hope not. I got just a handful more. Number eight, Jesus will model for us a life of sacrifice for other people. He will demonstrate this as a spiritual way, a spiritual purpose, and then he will say, if you're going to follow him, you're going to have to follow in this way of sacrificial self for spiritual other. He's going to demonstrate this. He's going to model this for us. John 10, verse 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. Luke 10, verse 45, I came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. How about 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for each other. He demonstrated sacrificial purpose in his life. Number nine, he demonstrated absolute surrender of his wants, his desires, his goals, his dreams. He said in John chapter number six, I came to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do in CV. I came to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. How about John 14, verse 31. I want the world to know that I love the Father and that is why I do everything exactly as the Father tells me to do. How about Mark 14, 36? Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Or how about Philippians chapter number two? The apostle nailing it down, not just for the 
way of Jesus, but for the way of all of us who would follow him. Jesus humbled himself and became fully obedient to God, even when it caused his death on a cross. So God exalted him and raised him to the highest place and made his name greater than every other name. All right, one more, and then I'm going to let you flop down exhausted from all the biblical theological gauntlet you have been running. Number 10, Jesus models a focus upon eternity, not a short-term focus upon the things of this world. Hebrews 12, verse number two. Jesus was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. Or how about this one? Hebrews 12 and 2. This is the message translation. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we are in, study how he did it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He began this race and he finished this race. Study how he did it. How about Psalms 119, verse number 18? Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your word. And finally, one more time, back to the words of Jesus as our, as our musicians and singers quickly come to the platform. This is John 16, verse number 15. Jesus says, the spirit will take from what I I have to say and make it known to you. He will take my words and give you understanding. All right. So I have ran you on a theological treadmill of understanding. He that hath ears, let him hear. <laughs> I have ran you in a most beloved way <laughs> down scripture alley and over scriptural hill. And now what I want to do is I want to take 10 truths and I want to ask you how well you are doing putting on the mind of Christ. The goal of this series is to ask ourselves how well is our way of doing things working out for us. If we're ready to admit there's a better way to do it. It's time for us to ask ourselves how God said we should do it. Not how we're doing it, not how we're coping, not how we're managing, not how we're getting by on therapy, medication, and a little bit too much alcohol. <laughs> None of those things. This is what we need to do. How did the Lord say I should do it? How did the Lord demonstrate for me to do it? So I have for you 10 questions. These questions are about whether or not you are putting on the mind of Christ. And if you're not, I want you to stop doing it your way. Somebody say word. And I want you to start doing it his way. Okay. Number one, here we go. Do you have spiritual clarity in your life? If you don't, you need to find it in prayer and study, and then you need to speak it again and again and again and again and again. That's how Jesus did it. If it was good enough with Jesus, I'm telling you, you ought to try it. It might just change your life.
The second thing you ought to do is if you do not have spiritual purpose in prayer and Bible study, working with the church that God has placed you in, exercising gifts, talent, and the gift of faith God has given you, you need to find clarity of spiritual purpose. And once you get it, you need to speak it and speak it and speak it and speak it. And again, I say, dearly beloved, speak it. Amen. And again, I say, amen. If Jesus needed to do it, how much more does your carnal hide need to do it? Thank you very much. Yes, I went there. Number three, how much of your strength is built upon you hosting the presence of God in your life? And how much of your strength is built on the reasoning of your mind? Let me ask you again. Your way is not as good as Jesus' way. How much of your strength is built upon your hosting of the presence of God in your life? And how much of your strength is you sitting around in your gossip club talking about what so-and-so said and this church did and the preacher you saw on the internet, all you lovely people watching on the internet, I want you to see you need to host the presence of God. You can't have a digital relationship with God. You need to find a place of prayer. You need to turn your living room into a church house. You need to get on some good music and worship the Lord with your mouth. Number four, how submitted are you to God's word? I don't mean you occasionally think about it. I don't mean you have a few type of therapeutic sayings that whenever you're afraid, you quote to yourself and pretend that studying the word of God. I'm in a mood today, forgive me. I'm going on vacation soon and I'm not even really here. That's why I'm saying all these ugly things to you. <laughs> I want you to see you need to surrender to God's word, not just quote it as therapy, not just say it. That's nothing wrong with that. I, I do that, but that can't be the whole of it. I must surrender my life to the word of God. Jesus did it. And if Jesus did it, how much more does your half backslidden hide need to do it? How much more does this struggling preacher need to do it? The word of God must reign supreme. And can I have an amen? Number five. Take your time, brother. Take your time. Jesus, well, let me say it this way. How focused are you on pleasing God? I don't mean whether or not your grandma approves of you. I hope she does. I don't mean whether or not your cousin approves of you. I hope he or she does. I mean, how much do you worry about your life as God sees it, not as church folks see it? You can fool all us church folk. We're not that complicated. You can fool us. Uh, you can't fool God. If there's double lives going on, God knows all about both lives. You need to absolutely surrender and focus upon pleasing God. If Jesus did it, how much more does your half-backslid carcass need to do it? I'm modeling Arnold here today. Praise God. Get myself a pay raise for it's over. I'm having fun. Number six. Jesus modeled complete surrender, not his way, not his wants, not his plan. He modeled his surrender. I can do nothing of myself, he said. I can only do what the Spirit is doing. We can't manufacture a move of God, but we can move with God. 
we can't force the wind of the Spirit to blow, but we can say, where's the Spirit blowing? One of the things this pastoral team does on a regular basis is ask ourselves what God is blessing. Ask ourselves what God is using. Ask ourselves what God is in some way filling with His presence. I can't manufacture it, but if God will move, I will run to God and I will throw myself upon His power. Number seven, do you love mercy or do you love mercy for yourself? Jesus modeled mercy as a way, not a get out of jail free card. He modeled it as a way. In fact, the Bible says if we don't choose mercy as a way, but rather we use it as a personal deliverance, We will not be given the deliverance that we think we have ran as trick upon God. Jesus modeled mercy. He had never wronged anybody, but he forgave people who had. If he did it, how much more should we do it? Number eight. If Jesus made the point of his ministry, the point of the lessons he left here for history, time, theology, and religion to learn. If he let, made that sacrifice for others, it might be that our way of following him is to live a life not of self-service, self-entertainment, but a life of service and love. How are we doing it? doing on that. Jesus completely surrendered his wants. He completely surrendered his wishes. And lastly, Jesus modeled for us life with eternity in mind, life with eternal life in mind, not short-term games, not quick weekends with bad memories, not hangovers and stories. He modeled a life that was focused upon eternal life. If you want this mind that was in Christ Jesus to be in you, you need to let these 10 ways somehow smite your heart. And you say within yourself, I've tried to do it my way long enough. I'm going to stop doing it my way. It hasn't been working out very well for me. I instead am choosing God's way. I am going to choose the way of the cross. I'm going to choose the, the, illustrative, the illustration, the example, the model shown in the life of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me all across the house? We're going to turn this service into a time of calling upon the Lord. We're going to turn this service into a time of opening our hearts unto God. We deeply believe this is the right way to end our services. Uh, Wherever you are watching this app, I would ask that you would turn that place into a prayer uh, time. I ask that you would take a moment, bow your head. We're going to be doing it here. I'd like you to be doing it all around the metro or wherever in the world you're watching this. Uh, Those of you here, if you'd like to step out of your seat. Our, our team will be here. If you have a need in your life and you'd like to be anointed with oil like they did in the, in the New Testament, follow that biblical example. Our team will be down here. We will pray with you. But I would like all of you to take a moment right now and let our worship team lead you into a place of divine celebration, divine reflection, divine worship, a place where it's not just us in the church house, but it's God in us. Would you do that right now as our worship team begins to lead us? Lift your hands all across the house. Pray with me right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're calling upon you today. We are acknowledging that you must 
bring about the spiritual change in our life. If we do it by the way of the flesh, we're going to forever be held by the limitations of that flesh. And we're going to create a type of flawed religion and call it Christianity. We've got to do it like you did it, Lord Jesus. We've got to do it as complete surrender. We've got to do it as a humbling of our life and our heart. And we have to desire you above all things. We have to long for you above all things. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for every individual in this house. I'm praying the Holy Ghost would walk these aisles, Lord Jesus. I'm praying for every person that's choosing to draw nigh to you. I'm praying they would perceive just how near you are to them right now. In Jesus' name. That's right, church. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Call on the name of the Lord right now. Let's turn this whole place into a prayer service. And let's believe that the presence of the Lord will meet with us here right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.